You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Are the straight people okay? Jonah Hill, he's a straight person. He's not okay. Hill's ex-girlfriend, professional surfer Sarah Brady, accused the actor of emotional abuse over the weekend, posting screenshots to Twitter of text messages he sent her during their relatively short-lived relationship. In the texts, Hill demands that Brady, who again is a professional surfer, not surf with men which is a very big and very weird ask since surfing is a male-dominated sport and we don't exactly have sex-segregated oceans. Hill also demanded that Brady remove photos from Instagram of her in swimsuits, her surfing pictures and videos, which is another very big and very weird ask of a professional surfer, doubly or quadruply so since Hill met Brady after seeing her surfing pics on Instagram and sliding into her DMs. As L Stranger, certified sex educator and stripper, said on Twitter, oh no, not Jonah Hill, acting like a boyfriend who demands his stripper girlfriend stop stripping, even though he met her as a stripper. Hill also asked Brady not to hang out with women he didn't approve of, so he wanted to edit her friends. And he dressed all of these insane demands up in a lot of therapy speak about his own boundaries and his own mental health. All right, what Hill did was not okay. It's the kind of manipulative move a controlling person makes once a new partner has made a large enough emotional investment in the relationship that ending the relationship isn't going to be easy for the person on the receiving end of this kind of manipulation. There's an understandable desire on the part of the person on the receiving end of demands like this to at least try and make it work in order to salvage the emotional investment, stir fame into the mix. And even if the more famous person in the relationship isn't consciously trying to leverage their fame, and I'm giving Hill the benefit of some very grave doubts right now, losing access to fame and the money and power that comes along with it, that can make ending things for the less famous, less powerful person even harder. Or as we saw with Army Hammer, fame can make it hard for someone to say no to things they don't want to do at the request of the famous person or even prompt them to say yes to things they don't want to do. Insecurities like kinks, are fine. Most people have some of both. And asking your partner to be conscious of your insecurities and considerate of them, that is fine. But weaponizing your insecurities to control or isolate your partner, that is not okay. And if someone is trying to shut you down or control you, if someone is shaming you for being the person you were when they met and claim they fell in love with you, if someone is actively trying to disassemble that person, They don't love you. They think they own you. As writer and comedian Ashley Ray, host of the TV I Say podcast, took to Twitter to say after reading Hill's texts to Brady, when I was 23, I was dating an insecure white dude in his 30s who bitched at me for posting a pic because, quote, only dumb sluts took selfies and, quote, it was too much cleavage. Laughing my ass off, I broke up with him ASAP. Ladies, do not waste one moment on people like this. Moving on to a straight person in America right now who is even less okay, I think, than Jonah Hill, Corey Richens. 
She's the Mormon mom who wrote a children's book about grief after her husband, Eric, tragically passed away, leaving her with three small children. Her book, Are You With Me?, is about a dead dad in heaven who's an angel now, and he has wings, and he's flying around watching over his children. Richens was recently charged with giving her dead angel husband his wings, not by ringing a bell, but by poisoning him. According to prosecutors, shortly before her husband's death, Richens Googled, what is a lethal dose of fentanyl? Richens' husband had five times the lethal dose in his system when he died. So Corey really wanted to make sure Eric got those wings. Corey Richens had also allegedly attempted to poison her husband before, once with a spiked drink, once with a spiked sandwich, and Eric knew it or strongly suspected it. He warned his sister and his parents that if anything ever happened to him, his wife did it. But he stayed with his wife, kept the family together for the sake of the children. Now, I have recommended staying for the children in certain circumstances, like the circumstance of a loving, low-conflict marriage. But if you think your wife or your husband is trying to poison you, that advice does not apply. I doubt very much this particular dead Mormon dad, formerly of Utah, now of heaven with wings, was a listener of mine, so I don't think my advice killed Eric. But on the off, off, off chance, there's a listener out there with kids who suspects their spouse may be trying to poison you. Do not stay for the kids. Grab your kids and run. Use your legs or get your wings. And finally, Bill de Blasio, former mayor of New York City, and his wife, Sherlane McRae. Some people thought they weren't okay, or what they did last week wasn't okay. I disagree. The couple gave a joint interview to the New York Times about their marriage, which included the detail that McRae, who married de Blasio in 1994 and had two children with him, identified as a lesbian when de Blasio first began asking her out. She told him she was a lesbian. But nevertheless, he persisted, asking her out again and again and again and again until she said yes. Maybe that was okay by 1994 standards. I was there. It actually really wasn't okay even then, but it's definitely not okay by 2024 standards. Anyway, the couple gave this joint interview to the New York Times about their decision to separate, but not divorce. And they're going to live together still in their brownstone in Brooklyn. And clearly, reading the interview, they still have a lot of affection for each other. But their marriage lacked what went out of it was excitement. McRae cited a lack of lovey-doveyness, something that the poly folks might call NRE, or new relationship energy, which there typically isn't a whole heck of a lot of in 30-year marriages. I'm going to set aside my usual talking points about having realistic expectations for long-term relationships. De Blasio and McRae were accused of oversharing. Why make a big deal about this? Why this attention-seeking behavior? Why run to the New York Times to give an interview when you're going to live together still and you're not going to get divorced? There are lots of married couples in New York, particularly married gay couples in New York and everywhere else who live together and love each other, but fuck other people and date other people. But you know what? If you think about it for just a second, Consider how the tabloids have dogged de Blasio and McRae over the years. If they didn't go public with the fact that they were dating other people, one of them would have gotten caught out on a date with someone else, and then they would have been accused in the tabloids of cheating on each other and lying to the people, not just of New York, but of the United States, de Blasio did run for president, about their marriage. So they got out in front of the inevitable tabloid expose in the New York Post by exposing themselves in the New York Times. 
I think what they did was understandable and therefore okay. I think de Blasio and McRae, of all the straight people who made the news last week, may have been the most okay. And finally, and I promise this is the real finally, my final finally, in fairness to straight people everywhere, gay people didn't have a great week either. Ricky Martin and his husband, they aren't okay. They announced they're divorcing. Billy Porter and his husband, also not okay, announced their divorce. And TikTok stars Nikki Champa and Pierre Boo aren't okay either. They announced that they too are getting a divorce. All right, a quick announcement before we get to the show. There will be no new episode of The Lovecast next week. We are taking a week off. That means it's a good time to catch up on old episodes you might have missed. Micro-listeners, you have access to a whole year's worth of Savage Lovecast to catch up on. Magnum-listeners, you have access to every podcast we've ever recorded since 2006. Also for Magnum Subs, we'll have a new episode of Sex and Politics for you on Thursday with journalist Helen Lewis from The Atlantic. We have a conversation about reactionary feminism. To subscribe to the Magnum Lovecast, go to savage.love. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's on the micro, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, Dr. Ashley Winter, urologist, returns to talk broke dicks, bent dicks, prostate glands, penis pumps, and more. All that coming up on today's show. Floria is an all-natural health and sexual wellness company with product lines using the power of plant actives and CBD to effectively enhance intimacy, sexual pleasure, daily well-being, and relief from discomfort. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com savage. This episode is brought to you by Beducated, the leading platform for pleasure-based sex education for adults. Go to beducated.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 40% off. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Go to helixsleep.com slash SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. I'm a cis married man in my 50s, and we recently opened up our relationship so that I can play at play parties and seek partners at those parties. And I've been talking to a new potential partner uh, who I'll be seeing at an upcoming play party. And she told me that she was interested in a kink called sounding. I had no idea what that it was, so I Googled it. And I was horrified. It's urethra play. I've never heard of this. Does that create any pleasure? It doesn't sound like it, but what's the appeal? Sounding is a medical procedure where a stainless steel metal rod is inserted into the urethra, what possible pleasure could a person derive from that? Well, it seems obvious to me that you're basically, it's like getting your dick pegged. It's taking the original insertion toy and inserting something into it. Now, sounding is a medical procedure. Sometimes men have to be sounded at the doctor's office by the doctor because scar tissue has built up in their urethra and it can be painful to be sounded under those sorts of conditions or for that reason. But a stainless steel, not very wide around, you know, if you Google it, you're going to see people who are getting sounds sunk into their dicks that are, you know, as big around as somebody's pinky finger that's like thinking every dick you're going to encounter in the wild is as big as the biggest dicks you're going to see in porn. Porn leans toward extremes. 
sounds come in all different circumferences, all different sizes, all different thicknesses, and a thin stainless steel sound isn't going to cause you much pain. And some men find that when a sound is allowed to sink into their dick, and that's a part of sounding that if you watched porn that you don't understand, the sound, when it comes to sounding play, it's not forced. The erect dick is held up. The stainless steel rod is placed at the meatus, the opening in the glands of the penis, and it's lubricated. And if somebody's aroused, of course, their urethra is lubricating itself. And it's just through gravity allowed to very slowly sink into the dick. There's no force deployed. It's not jammed down there. And eventually, if it sinks deep enough, it will wind up stimulating the prostate from the inside. That's what's in it for people who enjoy it. The mind fuck, if you are somebody with a penis of having your penis penetrated, if you are the person, you know, this woman who's going to this play party, the mind fuck of getting to penetrate a penis as opposed to being expected to be penetrated by a penis, what's in it for people who are into it? If you just think about that, seems obvious. And once you know that play, sounding for play, as opposed to sounding as a medical treatment to open up scar tissue that's built up in a urethra, is painless. And if you begin to experiment with sounds and only use medical stainless steel sounds, don't do this with a number two fucking pencil, if there's pain, immediately stop. But once you've experienced it and seen that there's no pain involved necessarily, and the symbolism of it can be so erotic and heady, particularly I think for opposite sex couples who are kinky, where a woman is doing it to a man. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to think about it very long and hard to identify for the people that sounding appeals to what is appealing about sounding. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a 25 year old bisexual cis female living in the Pacific Northwest. And I was wondering if you had any guidance about how and when to approach the topic of living with chronic illness with a new dating partner. I'm going to preface this a little bit by saying that I have very little romantic dating experience. Almost all of my relationships have been in a friends with benefits context. And so I feel a little bit like I'm flying blind here. I do live with chronic pain and chronic illness, and it can uh, take up a not insignificant amount of time, money, and resources so that I can engage with the world in the way that I want to. I am capable of managing it fully independently, and honestly, most importantly, I'm not ashamed of having chronic pain or chronic illness. I do see it as a lens in which I see the world through in a way that I have to interact with the world through, but I don't find it as a piece of my own core identity. And I don't want to introduce myself exclusively through that as my diagnosis. It is important for me to have a partner who's at least willing to understand and learn about the realities of what it means for me to live with chronic illness. And I know that not everyone's down for that. Not everybody wants that in a relationship. And I don't hold that against anybody. But if that's how they feel, then I would like to be able to go my own way and they go theirs earlier in the relationship to kind of save everyone some pain there. On the other hand, I don't want to, for lack of a better term, introduce myself as broken. And I don't want to do the thing that I've seen other people do where they just kind of throw all their shit on the table and is like, this is me. Can you handle it? Because that's not really a healthy way to interact with another person. 
But this is going to be something that is always part of my life and something that can affect my, you know, social life, my sex life, and, you know, everything in between. So if you have any pointers about kind of when I should introduce this in dating, how I should do it, if there's anything I should highlight first or bring up first, especially when communicating with someone who does not have any personal life experience with chronic illness, that would be incredibly appreciated because I don't really know what I'm doing right now. It's just about finding the balance. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it can spook people. If you throw a bunch of your baggage on the table on the first date before the appetizer comes, before you've demonstrated to them that you can hold a conversation and hang out a little bit and you're a pleasant person to pass some time with. If you throw your baggage out around your family history, a history of abuse, a history of you know all your kinks, it can be positive things too. If you just like dump on someone right away, even someone who might be down, open to dating you, have their own baggage, may withdraw because it seems like too much too soon. It speaks to a kind of emotional, not intelligence, but a kind of emotional denseness because nobody wants all that shit, whatever that shit might be, even if they have shit of their own, dumped on them on the first date during those first interactions. But I think there's a good rule of thumb around date three or four. If you go out with somebody and you have a good time and then you go out with them again and you have a good time and then you go out with them a third time and you have a good time around date number three or four to say to them, Hey, obviously we're clicking. I'd like to keep seeing you. You'd like to keep seeing me. I feel like, you know, you should know I have a chronic illness or you should know X, Y, or Z, whatever X, Y, or Z might be. And then you got to be Zen. And it sounds like you have the emotional intelligence to be Zen. Not everyone is going to be down. Not everyone's going to have the emotional resources or emotional strength, or not everyone's going to think they have the emotional resources, emotional strength to have a partner with a chronic illness. And if those people walk away, all right, well, sorting hat moment, they needed to walk away. They weren't the right person for you. And what did you lose? Well, you guessed wrong. You were on date three. You thought maybe they were somebody that you could continue to see. You guessed wrong, but you had three pleasant interactions, three pleasant dates with somebody, and you can go on to have three pleasant dates, three pleasant interactions with somebody else. And you never know that next one, if somebody walks away, who's obviously not the right partner for you. And when somebody walks away from us, who's not the right partner for us, they are doing us a kind of painful favor. The next one may say to you, I have a chronic illness too, may say to you, my family, my mom had a chronic illness, may say to you, I think that's, I don't think that's a problem. I'd like to keep seeing you. You may get a very different answer, but it's an answer you'll need to get eventually from everyone that you date. Because of course, this isn't something you can hide from the people you date forever. And again, you got to find that balance where you haven't made too large of an emotional investment. You haven't let it go on so long that the other person has made a large emotional investment in you that can feel manipulative and you want to protect yourself so that if somebody can't handle this about you, they've exited your life before you are head over heels in love with them. When the rejection, that favor at that stage, as painful as it might be, won't be for you 
devastating. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later. Hi, Dan and everyone. I'm a 55-year-old female who's been having anal sex for six months for the first time at this late age. It's been going well. I can even come from it. It's crazy. Anyway, I was reading online a woman, a young woman, said that she felt looser after having sex. And her doctor said, that's just a consequence. It will never go back to as tight as it was. And if she doesn't like that, she should stop doing it. I was wondering, is this true or is this just a particularly sex-negative puritanical doctor? I figure gay men have been having anal sex since time immemorial and straight people too. How much truth is there to this? Years ago, years ago, I got a question at Savage Love when I was just a humble advice columnist before I was a sex advice podcaster, when it was just me in the column. I got a question or really an accusation from a homophobe telling me that I would one day be incontinent, that all gay men become incontinent in time. And God, I don't, I, I tried to find this column online. I don't think it's one of the Savage Loves that's online. It's from the few years at the beginning of Savage Love. Um, those are not on the internet currently. I called a bunch of pharmacies in the Castro district in San Francisco to ask them how many packages of adult diapers they go through in any given week. And then I called pharmacies, drugstores in not gay zip codes, not gay neighborhoods. And then, you know, controlling for population size and doing some math. And you all know how good at math I am was able to prove, was able to show that adult diapers didn't sell at a faster clip in a gay neighborhood. If anything, pharmacies in gay neighborhoods went through fewer adult diapers per capita than pharmacies in not gay neighborhoods. You wouldn't expect that to be true. If tons of anal sex led to anal incontinence, basically the pharmacy in the gay neighborhood would be all adult diapers. Now, maybe if I wanted to do that same reporting today, the data set might get a little fucked up because diapers apparently are increasingly popular as a kink, which 
I don't understand, but your kink is not my kink, but your kink is okay. All right, we're really far afield from your question. Congratulations, you're 55 years old and you're having some brand new peak sexual experiences. That's something I want to highlight for all the people out there who are listening, who are in their late teens or 20s or 30s, who think peak sexual experiences are for people in their late teens, 20s, and 30s. You are here from the future, from the 50-something future, to tell them that you can have new, fun, amazing, orgasmic sexual experiences in your 50s. I would say the same. I have had peak sexual experiences, new peaks, new mountaintops I've reached in my 50s too. All right. You're having anal sex. It's making you come. You're really enjoying it. You're noticing that you're a little bit looser. Well, yeah, you would be a little bit looser in the wake of anal intercourse. When you learn to enjoy anal intercourse, anal penetration, a big part of that, 90% of it as the bottom who's being penetrated is learning to relax. And once you begin to trust that anal can feel pleasurable, you'll have a little less of a fear response. Once you begin to trust that when you're good to go and clean and there's not going to be a mess down there, you're less tense and you're able to relax that muscle. When you're done, yeah, you're going to be a little relaxed for a little bit. But as Dr. Carlton Thomas, gastroenterologist who was recently on the show pointed out, those muscles they tend to revert to norm. To, they tend to <laughs> tighten back up to sort of kind of a preset tightness level. Now, once you're no longer afraid of anal penetration, you may find you need a little less prep time because you're less fearful. And so there's some part of you, your anus, that had to be coaxed to relax when you began to experiment with anal sex, that as you get a little less experimental and become a little bit more of a pro, you need less coaxing to get to that same relaxed state. Doesn't mean you're looser. It may mean that you get to a point where you're loose enough to really enjoy anal intercourse, relaxed enough, I should say, not loose enough, faster. And some people may understand that or misinterpret that as I'm looser now than I used to be. And of course, learning how to control and relax means that there may be other times when you can relax now at will, that you develop a kind of muscle memory for anal relaxation that you didn't have before you began to experiment with anal penetration and anal pleasure. And again, you may misinterpret that as looseness. All that said, yeah, the more anal sex you have, the quote unquote looser you may perceive yourself to be carrying less tension in your ass, you're able to relax. There's again, that muscle memory around relaxing. That's not just a muscle memory that's going to kick in when you want to get fucked. That may also be a muscle memory that kicks in a little bit when you want to take a shit or fart or whatever. And you may feel looser generally. What you're not going to wind up is incontinent constantly as my invaluable research into diaper sales in gay male communities compared to diaper sales in non-gayish, less gayish communities 30 years ago proved conclusively. Oh, and as far as I know, no one has attempted to replicate that study that I did about adult diapers. And I would encourage if there's somebody out there who wants to replicate that and can control for the seeming booming popularity of adult diaper play, and wants to replicate the results of the study, please, please, please get out there. Do the research. Do the field work. Replicate the results of the study.
This episode is brought to you by Beducated, the world's biggest platform for the kind of sex education you didn't get but always wanted. So let's say you're looking to spice things up in the bedroom or the playroom. You want to take your pleasure to the next level. Beducated brings pleasure-based sex education to your bedroom or your playroom with over 100 online courses from the world's top sex experts. Whether you're single or in a relationship, Beducated is a safe space for everyone, regardless of sexual orientation or gender. Their courses will help you enjoy sex more by demystifying the things you've always been curious about and helping you communicate better with your partner or partners about the things you're already doing but want to do better or the things you've always wanted to try. Beducated offers a variety of courses. It's one of their standout features, courses covering everything from online dating to adventurous play from tantra to kink or just getting started kissing. You can choose to learn on your own or with your partner and their content, Beducated's content, is inclusive, embracing all races, sexual orientations, and genders. In addition to those deep dive courses, there are also quickies, short and informative video clips. The quickies on threesomes manage to cover everything from jealousy to STI safety to finding potential threesome partners in just a few really great informative minutes. So if you're inexperienced and curious about something new like threesomes or DS that you want to explore with a trusted partner or a new partner, those conversations can sometimes be hard to get started. Sometimes people are self-conscious. Watching quickies together could really help you get that conversation going. And right now, Beducated has an exclusive offer for my listeners. Get 40% off their yearly pass by using my special coupon code SAVAGE. That's right, 40% off, and that 40% is locked in for life. Plus, you can try all Beducated courses for one day free with no risk thanks to their 14-day money-back guarantee. Say yes to pleasure. Say yes to knowledge. Say yes to becoming Beducated. Visit Beducated.com today and let your journey to better sex begin now. That's Beducated, B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D.com. Use the coupon code SAVAGE for your exclusive 40% off the yearly pass. Hey, Dan. About four or five years ago, I called asked a question about my wife uh, exploring her sexuality and finding a girlfriend and uh, my battles and struggles with that, trying to be accepting and accepting of her. And at the time, I didn't want to expand my marriage, and I supported her. And they bonded and had a beautiful and still have a beautiful relationship. Over that time, we have expanded. I started dating my wife's girlfriend, and my wife started dating her girlfriend's husband. And we've had a secure, stable polycule the last five years and it's been amazing it's been beautiful now there's a possibility of me and my wife's partner she would like she's been into the kink community and has talked about exploring to have a friends with benefits in the kink community and it's challenged us as far as what we're willing to accept as far as opening up her having another partner and doing different kink scenes which we're accepting of but at the same time, wondering your thoughts about sexual health <laughs> communication. We would like to support her and encourage her. We want her to be her. This is what she really does. And the scary thing is, what if we need to walk away? And what's enough as far as dealing with mental health? 
Hey, thank you so much for calling back uh, and giving us an update. I'm sure I'd like to get to the, the, the question you asked this time, five years later, but I think it would interest a lot of listeners to hear how you went from, it sounds like pod at first, Polly under duress, you agreed to this open relationship and your wife having yeah. a girlfriend to happily and contentedly Polly in a long-term stable Polly quad. How did you make that happen? Um, I think it kind of evolved naturally. I got to know uh, my wife's girlfriend and over time got to meet her husband and we just were able to spend time together. One of the things my wife's girlfriend offered was to uh, watch uh, myself and her husband, watch them have a threesome to feel more connected to it, which was great. And I think over time, we just got to know each other better. Both my wife and girlfriend encouraged us. We wanted to look on Tinder and stuff. We wanted to look outside. And we did. And being a married man, it was harder to do, explaining that you're married to other people. And actually, one of our friends at a party talking about our situation looked at us and told us all, like, why aren't you guys just having sex with each other? You know each other. It's safe. You're happy. Why don't you do it? And that's kind of how our our, uh, polycule really formed and started going that way. And for the last five years, it's been amazing. We've survived a pandemic. They had a child in the middle of all that. And it's been great. And we just got to know each other and get stronger and build a good relationship. So what would you say that you feared before opening your relationship that you didn't need to fear you realized after you opened your relationship? It was definitely my wife would always voice she was uh, interested in women sexually. And when that finally happened, I had the fear of wondering if she was actually a lesbian and experiencing that part and hearing some stories about uh, her exploring her sexuality that she would want to move that way. And I wouldn't. I would accept it and I'd understand it, but it would still suck to happen. But that was a, a definitely fear I had. Of it. And it wasn't a rational fear in the end. Your wife still likes dick. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the situation now. If I understand it correctly, sometimes it can be difficult to track or map somebody's polyquad. You and your wife, your girlfriend, would like to explore S&M with an outside partner. So neither her husband nor either of you. There's somebody else she'd like to explore kink with. Yeah, my, my girlfriend. We got stronger over S&M and kink, mm-hmm. and our relationship got more uh, intense that way. And she has been exploring the kink community deeper, and uh, has met a person before and had a connection with. And it's a possibility. It's been changing. There's been a lot of communication. But um, I guess me getting used to it or understanding it, being a secondary partner, I guess I have that fear that potentially I could be left behind. And that's that's a fear everybody has. You said, you know, right. what if we need to walk away? What's enough? Those are questions that people in closed monogamous relationships confront all the time. Right. It can be, I think, I don't want to minimize the, the reality of that fear can be, I think, a bit more present in an open relationship where it's not just a hypothetical that your partner might be getting with somebody else, but a reality that your partner is getting with right. somebody else. When it comes to exploring kink, though, if the concern is sexual health, not that they're going to have perhaps new relationship energy with somebody else, which is a real possibility, but sexual health, you've been a closed polyquad for years now. I assume you guys yes. didn't all use condoms with each other for that whole time. You were all fluid bonded. And now if your girlfriend starts having sex with somebody else outside the relationship, that introduces risk in a way that you guys had controlled for risk in the past. That's the health concern. But is she interested in sex and kink together? 
with an outside partner or just exploring kink play BDSM? Because when it comes to kink and S&M, you know, opening a relationship when all someone interested in is vanilla sex means opening it to vanilla sex. If it's kink, you can open it to kink without necessarily opening it to the risks that would be inherent in, you know, sexual intercourse with other people. No, uh, absolutely. And the more I learn about kink, the more I understand this better. I think that possibility that the option for her is there, which I think makes her feel good. It could be there if she wanted to, and there was a, a strong enough connection with someone to explore just outside of just like impact play and going into possible sexual contact. Right now, she's saying she feels good exploring that stuff with me, but it's nice to have that avenue in case she wanted to and how we would get but there. But in case she wanted to what? Yeah. Do bondage or kink or impact play with somebody else, or she wanted to do all of that plus intercourse with somebody else? I was I think all of that plus intercourse possibly, yeah. Okay, well, so. I think it would be a reasonable, you know, you guys are a polyquad, you're all fluid bonded. It's not that you all get a vote. Ultimately, she gets to make her own decisions <laughs> and then you guys have to make your decisions, which might include right. walking away or reintroducing condoms in that relationship. Right. It's about the degree of risk you're comfortable accepting so that your partner can feel fulfilled sexually, can self-actualize. And it right. seems to me there's a huge, not a huge, I'm going to call it a baby step. So I guess it's like a jumbo shrimp. It's not a huge baby step. But there's a significant step in between that's open to you guys because of the kink factor here, which is yes. saying okay for now to doing kink with somebody else in the context of a play party or a scene. But we're still talking about whether we're comfortable with intercourse so that your partner who would like to explore kink with somebody else can do that. And maybe out of deference to your feelings, the, the, the quads safety for now, it's just kink, but you can continue to have conversations, particularly if she identifies then someone that she would like to be sexually intimate with as well as doing kink with, then it wouldn't be some right. nameless faceless other. It would be a specific person and whether you'd be comfortable with that person, basically joining your your quintuple fluid bond circumstance perhaps <laughs> at that point or using condoms yes. with that person right. while still maintaining the fluid bond between the yes. four. Right. That's where we're at right now. And we've been having ongoing discussions here and there about it. And I think what you just said is one thing that's helped me when we opened up my, my wife got together with her husband was that I felt a connection and there was friendship and I felt safe and it was easier to go that avenue as opposed to what you said, like a nameless, faceless person. So, so what is, what does your partner want? Do, do they want the freedom to fuck around at kink parties with randos or do they want the freedom? They want to find one other person to, to do explore kink with, but also with sex at some point. At one time it was the possibility of exploring if they wanted to with randos or with um, one person, what one person they would have a connection with, not, not, a, not an, uh, a random uh, connection. But um, just over time and evolving and talking, the, a lot of the things that I wanted to do, she wants to do. So we're going that avenue together. But also giving the freedom and doing it safely if someone was to come up and there was a connection, how to explore that. Um, the kink I'm accepting to with the negotiations and understanding safe, I get that. The sex impacts everyone as far as a health standpoint. So You know, if I was talking to her, what I would say to her is... There's the quad that you're in. There are your three partners. And then there's the possibility of intercourse with other people. Is the right. intercourse with other people worth upsetting the apple cart of the quad? Uh, um, yes. And that's a decision that she's going to ultimately have to make for herself. And then right. you're all going to have to make your own decision about your comfort levels, whether to stay in this relationship, whether to, to reintroduce condoms. 
but I think that's a conversation that you you could game it out now how you might react. But I think okay. you should wait yeah. until there's a specific person that she would like to play with. And hopefully this isn't something that she would do ever on impulse. This is something she would do very thoughtfully and intentionally. Right. And there would be a conversation in advance of her wanting to go to that next level with somebody she's done some kink with already. Right. She's been very forward as far as she wants everyone's acceptance. It'd be a talk. It wouldn't be impulsive. It would include us. It wouldn't just be done, which I appreciate and respect greatly. I, I understand why you're, you're anxious and maybe wanting to think this through and game it out now. But my advice is to you to, to, to hang in there and wait and, and see where this goes. And if it's somebody that you're comfortable with, if they use condoms, there's going to be some degree of risk there for the skin to skin sexually transmitted infections, but very low risk for, you know, the big scary ones. And, you know, for people who've all had multiple sex partners have probably been exposed already to the skin to skin sexually transmittable infections. Right. And I think that's when you make the decision. But, you know, a quad that's lasted this long and gotten through so much, the birth of children, the pandemic. Right, right. I would, if I were in your shoes, and you know what, I've been in your shoes, I would try to find a way <laughs> to maintain the quad while making it possible for this woman, your girlfriend, right. to have this other experience with another person that she would like to have in a way that everyone feels safe. Right. That's well, what, as safe what, as everyone well, can feel. <laughs> that that is my goal. If it comes to that, and trying to be accepting and understanding, and be allow her enough freedom to do what she needs, and everyone still feels safe. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the makers of my mattress and the makers of your next mattress. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix Sleep lineup offers fourteen unique mattresses including a new collection of six luxury models called Helix Elite. These mattresses are loaded up with super high-tech features like a built-in cooling cover, comfort layers tailored to sleeping position support, and edge reinforcement. And every Helix Elite mattress comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix mattresses. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz now to find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge, for that 100-night trial, you get to try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit for you, you are welcome to return it for a full refund. Right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Go to helixsleep.com savage for 20% off. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. Go to Helix. Go now with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Hi, Dan. I am a relatively new listener from Canada, and I'm calling to get some advice on my open relationship with my boyfriend of almost five years. We have an amazing relationship. We love each other deeply. We have amazing, hot sex. However, a semi-frequent point of contention is that my boyfriend wants to top, and I just don't want to bottom. It's not something that has really doesn't really bring me joy or pleasure the same way topping does. And in the handful of times that I've bottomed, it just doesn't seem to work well for me. And it's been a reason that my boyfriend has previously brought up the idea of an open relationship, which I initially was dead set against. However, over time, he got me to listen to this podcast, which has helped. And I think the real catalyst was he moved away 
almost a year ago for work across Canada to a different city. So now we're long distance at the moment. And I think it just started to make sense that an open relationship would, would work for us because I'm horny, he's horny, and it just made sense. And it's been great, actually. It's been a lot of fun. It's been really hot to have these these new encounters. And one of the rules that we have in this relationship, open relationship, is that we tell each other everything. We tell we tell each other about the encounter and, and what happened, which is kind of fun and hot to hear about what my boyfriend has been up to. And also it's really good, I think, to have that open line of communication to help try and avoid any issues of jealousy or anything like that. One thing, though, that has been bugging me is that since this open relationship has started, my boyfriend has only bottomed in all of his encounters that he's described to me. He hasn't topped once. And I don't know why, but it, it, it seems to, it bugs me. It bugs me because the whole, the initial reason for the open relationship was that he wanted to talk. And now all he's done is bottom. Am I being selfish by thinking this way? I, when, when I talk to him about it, he says that it has nothing to do with me or anything, that he, it's just the way his encounters have worked out. And I guess I, I just feel this little sense of insecurity that I can't quite pinpoint where it's coming from. Should this bother me or should I just get over myself and enjoy the open relationship? I'm going to be moving out to this new city with him soon. And at that point, I guess we'll be exploring a different aspect of the open relationship being together uh, in the same city. So who knows what that will bring. First of all, I assume you're fucking other people. You say that you tell each other everything and he's told you a lot about the other guys he's sleeping with, including the fact that he's bottomed for all the other guys that he slept with. And if you're telling each other everything, I can only assume there were some things that you had to tell him too. <sighs> that said, your feeling of insecurity, I don't think stems from the fact that your boyfriend is fucking other people as you are fucking other people. But from this sense that you have that your boyfriend may not have been consciously or subconsciously fully honest with you when you initiated or he initiated these conversations about opening up the relationship. What he told you when you first began to discuss opening up the relationship was that there was something he wasn't getting from you, couldn't do with you, that he missed and wanted to experience and wanted to do. And that was topping. You are exclusively a top, exclusively a top in your relationship with him. He's verse. Now, since your boyfriend has felt free enough to be honest with you about what he's actually doing with these other guys, I can only assume that when you had this conversation about opening the relationship, it wasn't with the caveat, there wasn't a ground rule that you can only do X with other guys. You are my bottom only. And when you're with other guys, you can top, but you can't bottom. You didn't establish that ground rule. I don't think this is, you know, a technicality where your boyfriend gets out of jail free here. You have to revisit that initial conversation you had about opening the relationship because it was your understanding that it was for him to go top, not for him to go bottom. And you maybe attached some meaning or importance to topping. You wanted that to be something that you got to do for him only or you wanted the sex he had with other guys to be sex he couldn't have with you only. And that's sometimes a ground rule that people establish when they open their relationships initially. Sometimes 
permanently that some things are ruled out. Some things are for the couple, the primary original couple only. You didn't do that explicitly. You assumed perhaps that that would be the case, that his experiences with other men would be him topping other guys and continuing to bottom for you. But yeah, yeah. I wonder what was going on in your boyfriend's head. I wonder if he was telling you the truth that he wanted to top, therefore wanted to open the relationship or if that was what he felt was most expeditious, the most expeditious thing to say, the thing that if he said that you would have to concede that since you couldn't bottom and you didn't want him to feel deprived of getting to top for the rest of his life, that you would have to agree to open the relationship. And I could see why if you feel it might be the latter, that you would have something to talk about with your boyfriend and process with your boyfriend. You got to ask yourself though, is this okay? Even if your boyfriend only wanted to take more dick and this is how you guys got there with your boyfriend not being, I want to say consciously or subconsciously again, because I don't think necessarily your boyfriend behaved badly intentionally or consciously manipulated you, but the open relationship was sold to you as a fix for he wants to top and clearly Clearly, that's not what he wanted from his outside sexual encounters, considering that it's not what he's gotten out of any of his outside sexual encounters. If that's okay with you, it's not about renegotiating the terms of your open relationship because this wasn't a condition or a term or a rule. It's about revisiting that conversation about why the relationship was opened in the first place. It wasn't so that he could dick guys down because he wanted more guys' dicks in him. Is that okay with you? Can you retroactively extend your permission, consent, agreement to encompass what it was that you both now know he actually wanted in the first place? The feeling of insecurity comes from a place where you feel your boyfriend wasn't honest with you. You can maybe put those feelings of insecurity to rest by getting honest with each other now in a way you weren't, or he wasn't able to be honest with you when you initially had those conversations about opening the relationship. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says Lazy Femme, I really appreciate all your writing and speaking on Choking Dan and you sharing, again, Dr. Debbie Herbenick's research. I don't think most people actually know the risks involved with choking. It is a varsity level kink, to which slow-mo pomo responds, I wonder if calling it a varsity level kink doesn't make it sound attractive to people who would like to think of themselves as on the varsity team. That is a really good point, slow-mo pomo. I may retire varsity level kink in favor of some other designation that I will pull out of my ass later. Meanwhile, over on Instagram, the campsite rule came up. The campsite rule, of course, leave people in better shape than you found them. Octo Kraken responds, the campsite rule we were taught was take only photographs, leave only footprints. I strive to follow that in relationships too. Well, Octokraken, I prefer my campsite rule. Again, leave people in better shape than you found them. But I think your version works too in relationships, so long as you are exclusively dating exhibitionists with trampling fetishes. All right, for more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session, which I post every Thursday at savage.love, where I respond to comments, emails, and DMs from my listeners and readers. It is another perk for Magnum subs. To get all the perks of being a Magnum sub, subscribe now at savage.love. And now, listener response calls. 
Hey, Dan, this is in response to the girl that wanted to ask one of her best friends to change her clip piercing. I only have my nipples pierced and not any genital piercings, but as someone who is heavily into body modification, friends with many, many tattoo artists and piercers, don't actually ask your friends. They're not going to be very good at it. It is a skill that is learned, and there are people that literally do it for a living. Go back to the tattoo shop or piercer that put it in and go to them and ask them to do it. I assure you, even if they're a man or a woman or a they or a them, that they are going to be more sensitive and more careful about it than your friend who's never put a piercing in, especially a clip before. Please go to a professional instead of asking your friend anyway. I don't care if they're your bestie or not. I assure you the piercer is going to do a perfect job of changing that jewelry. I've gotten my septum and my nipple piercings changed several times by my piercers because it's really a pain in the butt to do it yourself. Response call for the guy whose new neighbor made that very awkward comment about gay people. I'm really sorry. That is so off-putting. I do agree with Dan, though, and I think a lot of times people that make comments like that are just one step away from being the person we really want them to be. And they're also somebody who has made a ton of progress and has grown a lot to get to this point where... You know, they are very tone deaf and sticking their foot in their mouths, but they have really good intentions at least. And the only thing that differentiates where they are now from where we want them to be is just exposure. So you letting them get to know you is a way of investing in them becoming that person that we really want them to grow into. And it's kind of beautiful to help somebody have that growth opportunity. So I think maybe if you can shift your perspective to that, not something you have to do right away, but just be open to it. And then also think about the fact that you probably have at least one person in your life that is super important to you that also had to make that journey, who has also said things that have made them cringe when they're looking back on it. So just give it some time and keep an open mind. Hi, Dan. I just wanted to give a follow-up to you on a previous Savage Love. I asked for advice on how to handle the quandary of having a new sweetheart who wants me to be as dominant, and yet I'm someone who's very uncomfortable with hurting or humiliating another person. I'd like to give you all a big thank you. The advice you provided and the information about the myths that surround dominant submissive play It gave me the courage to go forward and give this a try. I found out one way is to be a caretaker or romantic dominant. I went with this and was able to create a non-painful way to make use of restraints and teasing and mild or symbolic punishment. And that was both comfortable for me and pleasurable for my sweetheart. He was extremely appreciative of the effort that I made, and this brought me a lot of joy. Our relationship is zooming forward, and it's really been enriched by this experience. Thank you to all of you who encouraged me to find a way to make this possible. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? You can go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or your comment, or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love, or you can give us a call at 206-302-2064 and leave a message. Hump Hardcore continues streaming at humpfilmfest.com. This is a collection of our favorite kinky films about BDSM, bondage, dungeons, 
Hump Play, and so much more from the first 18 years of the Hump Film Festival. So grab your kinkiest, freakiest friends or grab your most vanilla friends and freak them out by going to humpfilmfest.com and get your Hump Hardcore streaming pass today. And while you're there, go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit to find out how you can get your film into next year's Hump Film Festival. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And because Twitter is the last social media platform that allows sex workers and sex educators and porn stars and pro-doms and people who write and self-publish erotica to exist on their platform. I am still, oh my God, still on Twitter in solidarity with my sex worker, porn star, at all friends, at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Dr. Ashley Winter on Instagram and threads and Blue Sky and Twitter at Ashley G. Winter. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week, except for next week. Again, we are taking next week off by Nancy Hartuni. And me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will all be back at you week after next with an all-new Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.